Hey, y'all. Brett Maddox here from the Podakesis Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us for this episode, but I wanted to let you know about something very special about this episode. We had invited Dr. Brian Russell, a biblical studies professor from Asbury Theological Seminary, to come on and to share about his new book on centering prayer and to also talk about the questions that were coming up for um, the catechism from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Well, what became apparent early on was the conversation we were having about centering prayer was a conversation that we needed to have and we felt like you needed to, to hear Dr. Russell's testimony, his personal life, his, his way of teaching this, it just became something uh, powerful um, in, that, in, that, in that episode. And so uh, we will be getting to our regular catechism question uh, in the future. Be, be, a pay atten- be paying attention for when we will release that um, here, uh, hopefully shortly. Uh, but we're going to put that on hold for right now for this special episode of the Podakesis podcast featuring Dr. Brian Russell, uh, author, professor, spiritual coach, uh, pastor, really pastor. Uh, Dr. Russell, this is his second time on the show. He's a, he's a great, great guy, a good friend of the show, and we were happy to host him, and we were blessed by him talking about the spiritual practice of centering prayer. His new book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life from Paraclete Press, will be out on September 14th. And in the show notes, you'll see where you can go ahead and go and pre-order that. Like I said, we will post about when we're going to uh, drop uh, our regularly scheduled episode uh, dealing with the question at hand, uh, our next question from the catechism. Uh, So uh, pay attention to that in our social media, at Podakesis is where you can find us all over social media. But in the meantime, we pray that you are blessed as we were blessed by this very special episode. Podicumens, and welcome to the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we are joined by your very best friends and two excited guys for starting school back, Jim Morrow and Alan Kaysen. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I know I'm more excited about school starting than my kids are, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Amen. Jim, how you doing, bud? Come on. Hey, I just, I got my first day of school picture. I packed my lunch. Uh, there was a snack pack and a little Debbie in there, buddy. That's all I need. I just needed to know if y'all got new tennis shoes and stuff. So, you know, come on. Uh, it's different when it comes out your own paycheck. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, once again, now I need to tell y'all out there in Potakesis land, we have another first. Now, our first guest that we brought on was Dr. Brian Russell, a biblical studies professor from Asbury Seminary. He's back on, and he's another first. He's our first return guest. Um, And so I want to just everybody give a big welcome to our friend, spiritual coach, professor, 
ordained pastor, author, Dr. Brian Russell. We are so glad that you are here. And you know, it's going to be exciting, Brian, if you are, if you're ever like, if you're ever uh, impaired enough to come back on our show, um, you'll be our first third time <laughs> guest. So what we want to do is we just want to capitalize on all of these things. That's you know, right. we're, we're looking for the clickbait with a name <laughs> no. like Potokesis. The only way we get clicks is by guests and clickbait. That's exactly no. right. Well, that's, that's, well, that's good. Well, you guys, it's, it's so great to be with all of you and hello to all the listeners that are listening and uh, say, this, this is fantastic. And to try to be, I'll try to be as, uh, as helpful and be a blessing. And you guys always bless me. So it's just gonna be a great time today. Awesome. Awesome. I know I'm excited to have you uh, back on. And for our listeners, um, we're going to put all the details about uh, Brian in our show notes. Show notes. So you can read about um, uh, what he's doing now and books and all that kind of stuff. And uh, speaking of books, we're going to get to a new one that he's got coming out real soon here in just a moment. But before we do, um, if you would go to social media, hit us up at at Podikesis is where you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Always, As always, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That just helps us with their algorithms. And uh, and uh, just do that. And, and we're excited for all the comments we've been getting. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your uh, support of our podcast. Uh, Dr. Russell, you've got a new book coming out, uh, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence can change your life put out by i believe paraclete yes is, paraclete press uh press and and um uh, we're excited i know that's coming out september 14th and um so uh, all our listeners uh let's give a big podokesis push and all of you just go out and and let dr russell know how much you love him and appreciate him get that book i'm just gonna go ahead and tell you yep. get and- Pre-orders are up right now at minimum on Amazon, if not elsewhere. So I've gone ahead and made my pre-order. Y'all can go ahead and do that too. That's exactly right. Uh, Brian, will you tell us, so like, what's this book about? And uh, ultimately, why'd you write it? Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, what Centering Prayer is, if if the listeners aren't aware, is, a, is what we can call it the prayer of silence or even silent meditative prayer. And it has deep roots in the church. Uh, some people even call it contemplative prayer. There's probably a slight distinction between those, but this is a, a silence and solitude practice that involves uh, praying uh, without words. And I know we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into, into that. But the backstory for this, and th- this is really fun for me because, again, I'm a Bible professor and I've written books on the scriptures. Uh, well, all my books have been about Bible study, whether it's been curriculum or more academic books. And uh, this book comes out of, of, of my own personal testimony. And it's essentially centering prayer was central to me, even being here with you guys today. And again, if, if folks have followed me, they may know this, not everybody does, but back in 2010, um, in the fall, so it's almost been 11 years, it's going to be coming up at right at the beginning of September. Um, my first marriage, I've been married for 20 years. Um, and my, uh, my, my wife, I just found out at, literally like a month after my anniversary, uh, my marriage is just over. And, and that was utterly devastating um, for me. Um, and it sent me in a, a, a real faith crisis. Like, why is this happening? I've been a pastor. I gave my everything to Jesus. And now here I am. I'm terrified. I'm worried about, um, you know, finances. I'm worried about my 
my daughters. I ended up, you know, basically raising my daughters as a single parent for a season. I, I've been remarried um, for a number of years now, but I was a single parent for a season. And I wondered if I was even going to be able to, you know, teach credibly at the seminary. So I was in this um, almost like a, a kind of a deconstructing phase, not that I lost my faith, but I went through this massive grief process, um, completely full of anxiety doing my work at Asbury, literally on fumes. I'd been on sabbatical when the initially happened, but I'm in the spring of 2011, I'm teaching and just basically I on fumes. I don't even know how I did it. It was purely playing tapes that I'd been doing for years, but I didn't have anything. I was just fried on the insides. And literally what happened one day, one of my friends told me, Brian, it sounds like you're going crazy. <laughs> so you always love it when somebody tells you that. And right. you know, I wasn't crazy enough that I rejected that advice. I'm like, wow, if this person thinks I'm like, I was talking super fast, even faster than I'm talking right now. So I was like in hyperdrive. So I just go outside for a walk. And uh, I had this powerful religious experience while I'm on this walk. I, I didn't have headphones on. I'm just walking. And I had this moment where this bird was singing and it catches my attention and I look up and it felt like the whole world just kind of froze for a moment. I, I all the anxiety dropped and I was just there. I could smell the flowers. I could see this bird again. It's this beautiful day in Orlando. Thank goodness that day it's I'm lived down here. So it was nice sunny day in the spring. And I sensed in a profound way that I was 100% loved by God. Mm -hmm. And I sensed that God was going to be enough. And, and like, and I, and I had never had an experience like that because I wasn't in church. I wasn't reading the Bible. Like I had been doing my whole life. I wasn't, you know, praying like I prayed my whole life. It was just in this moment. And that jolted me because that kind of spiritual practice stuff didn't happen to me typically outside of a, you know, kind of a revival service or, you know, a youth meeting or even in, in a worship service. And so as I began to heal from the actual divorce, uh, I learned about resources that the Christian faith had that up until that time for, again, I don't know what the reason was. I just wasn't aware of this whole contemplative spirituality side of things. And I found what slowly healed me and allowed me uh, to, to kind of reboot was this silent meditative prayer practice, along with essentially a version of prayer of examine. So I was doing really deep spiritual journaling and I was doing just sitting in silence. And the, 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 I opened myself up to grace. I mean, all the way, I mean, it didn't, and this, this whole story, like this has now been almost 11 years and I didn't start writing this book until three years ago. So I kind of waited. Um, but looking back, I realized, um, you know, I started coaching, people were coming to me for advice and I was mentoring more than I had ever done. And I just realized like, wow, you know, I thought I was broken. Um, and, and I was, um, but God did a work in my life uh, to begin to heal me. And again, I don't want to come on here acting like I'm, I'm so way down the line from everybody else now, but I know that God substantially healed my insides mm. uh, and did work that I probably didn't know was possible even before everything happened to me. And so this book is both kind of a testimony. I trace some of my own story. So like I start off in the book with that walk I just described, but then I get in the, the book essentially is 
how you do silent meditative prayer, the challenges that you'll run into, biblical and theological reflection, and then some of the um, the fruits of it over a long-term practice. But it, 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 at the heart of all this is my desire, even in the midst of my pain, and I'm so grateful for this, is I knew in my heart that I was going to get through this. And I was committed to not being bitter about what happened to me, but I wanted to be better. And that was kind of my prayer. And then somehow also, and this was, I mean, kind of one of these scary prayers, but I, you know, a year or so after, as I was reflecting, I literally started praying, Lord, bring all the darkness on my insides into the light so that they can be healed by your love and grace. And so that's when I, even my deep dive spirituality stuff is all about opening ourselves up to the, the the power of the spirit, God's grace to come in and and heal up trauma, guilt, fear, shame, all the things that oftentimes mute the deep work that God really wants to do in us. And so in a sense, getting divorced was the worst thing that ever happened to me personally. But, you know, you know, again, it was hard on my children, so I'm not going to say it was the best thing. But in some level for me, spiritually, it led me on a journey that has been really profound. And I try to capture some of that in this book as well. That's powerful. Um, mm. Man, <laughs> uh, it's interesting to me the, um, uh, how that, 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 that word from God in our deepest, darkest places of, hey, I do love you, is such a healing and powerful thing. Um, you know, I, I've, I've told the story on here before about at my salvation, the words from God were, I love you. And at that point, you know, just takes off from there. Um, man, that's good stuff. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we are passionate about here with our podcast and our community is understanding what Christians believe and why it matters, not for the sake of having um, the right frame to the house, but almost so that you know what house you can make your home in. That's great. Um, Brian, are you willing to tell us a little bit about, because you've spent your life, you're a doctor of biblical studies. Um, how did that prepare you to understand or receive what God may have been bringing to you in the future through deeper practices that come over life? Do you have any reflection on that? Yeah, and that's the really interesting thing, because at some level, the experiences that I've had were built on that foundation of historic orthodoxy, scripture, all of the means of grace that we typically talk about, you know, prayer community, worship, singing. And so those those were already there. So I, I wouldn't say that contemplative practices divorced from all of those other things are going to be um, necessarily lead in the same kind of experience that I that I that that I actually had. So they were definitely built on that. But the interesting thing to me was as I look back, um most of, and, and I'm just critiquing myself when I say this, yeah. but because um, you all, you all knew me. Well, let's see. I know Jim knew me before, yeah. right? And so, I mean, you knew what kind of professor I was, and you know, uh, a wonderful one, by yeah, the way. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't like um, I wasn't a Christian, and now I am, or anything mm -hmm. like that. Or, um, but the right. the thing that I noticed was there the piece of my life that wasn't whole was. 
I was mostly in my head. And so like the Christian faith I believed in was 100% orthodox and I lived it out. I would have ran through a brick wall for Jesus. And that was, you know, I, was, I did all that missional stuff. And, and I even pl I planted a church back in those days before as well, too. So, I mean, I was all in. But what I discovered is the part of me that wasn't in and I didn't realize it was kind of my body. And I don't mean like I was showing up, but. I had divorced my feelings, I think, from my head. And part of that's my personality. I'm an academic. You know, we were joking before that, you know, the, the only marketable thing we have is between our ears, basically, right? Uh, and, and, and so, you know, like, even when we talk about loving God, I've been, I mean, I've led people to Christ. I preached, you know, tons of sermons, but I'm going to have to say, looking back, I didn't know in every nook and cranny of my body that God loved me. And it took that, that really painful experience and then opening myself up to grace with these deeper spiritual practices to get that all the way in. And that's been the big change in my life. And, and then the other, and the other piece is by doing this, uh, just having God kind of open up the insides. And I kind of call God like a plumber. He just had to unclog <laughs> all the pipes that were in there. Uh, I sometimes say, and I don't want to have this come off the wrong way. So I'm going to be careful. I say this, but I'm just going to say it. And then I'll try yeah. to unpack this. Like I would say, I feel in some ways less holy than I used to. And that's not because I'm suddenly sinning more, but I think it's just opened me up the ways that, you know, I recognize the pain parts of my life that I didn't even know were there before like blind spots and stuff. And I would say the sitting in silence stuff has Again, I have plenty of blind spots and you can find plenty of people <laughs> that, that see me at my worst still. So I'm not going to come on here and play saint, but I would say that I've got a lot of the blind spots opened up on myself and I'm able then to what I've noticed, um, like Bob Tuttle was one of my mentors and I know you've all talked to Tuttle and Tuttle always yeah. said this. And I've always said, whatever Tuttle said is always right. I just didn't get it quick enough. <laughs> so he's been telling me as long as I've known him and I've known Tuttle for 25 years is he always just said the key to life is show up, pay attention. God has way more invested in this than you do. And, and I would say mm. for most of my life, you know, that didn't make any sense because I always thought I have more invested in this. And, and so this, all these processes of just kind of getting the inner pipes unclogged has made, you know, it's not just so much me thinking the right things. I want to be fully present for other people and just show up and serve and not be distracted. And that's the shift that I think I've seen in my life spiritually is that, you know, I actually show up, like I would say, I bet you I would never have been on your podcast even the first time if I wouldn't have gone through all that stuff that I went through, because I'm, I'm a different person and I'm more yeah. available than I ever was. Cause I was always stuck in my head. Even mm. when you guys had me in class before all this stuff happened. Mm. Well, you know, when you, when you talk about the, the head and the body, yeah. um, I can completely resonate with that. In our last episode, um, we were talking about uh, peace that had come up there and the word shalom. And so when you talk about, in my understanding of the shalom um, from, you know, tw 12 years ago, 13 years ago in a Hebrew class, <laughs> um, is that the it's a holistic thing. Yeah. Like it's a, your whole, your, your entire being. And so that's kind of what I'm hearing from you yes. here is that it's a, you're touching, you're getting in touch with um, 
perhaps God's original intent for us, right? This this original peace, this original way of being um, that we're not to be, you know, separated or, you know, mind, body, and so, but we are this holistic created being. Yeah. Yeah. We're an embodied soul and in, in that we were designed essentially for love. I mean, you know, it's to love God and love neighbor as yourself. And that's been my experience. It's essentially my, my original title when I wrote my book was going to be centering prayer in the journey to love. And it's shifted to what the title is now, but that's the thread that runs through the whole book, opening ourselves up to ever expanding experiences of love, which I believe happens for all eternity. And I think that's really what holiness is and entire sanctification is it's becoming immersed in love and opening yourself up to continuing to grow in that for a lifetime. It's like going in the water. At some point you go under the water, but then, I mean, under the water is what 50 feet into the ocean. And we, God wants to take us all the way into the Marianas trench out in the Pacific. And it's even deeper than that, even though that's mm. like, um, you know, Mount Everest can be dropped yeah, into yeah. that thing and it's underwater. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's the journey of a lifetime. And that's, that's what, how I would describe the journey that I hope that I'm on right now. Yeah. Mm. And what I love is, as we'll get to this in just a second is that you have given yourself pretty deeply to invite others to experience this as well. And that's part of what your book is about. Um, And I I want you to help us define um, centering prayer in just a moment, but I'm going to take a little bit of license. And, and because we're talking about theology uh, and the catechism in our podcast, and the catechism is our framework for just Mm -hmm. talking about what Christians believe and why it matters. The opening part of the Westminster shorter catechism is the purpose of humankind is to love God and enjoy him forever. And then it talks about sin, which in our, maybe our Western or uh, less thoughtful moments, we just talk about the things that we do wrong, but that is at a more robust theological level is anything that separates us from God and a state that we are in. And so when we talk about, you said, Brian, letting the light, bring all of your darkness or all of our darkness into the light of God, that is in fact an act of being or, or an opportunity for God to save us through and through. And I love the connection that you made between that and holiness and sanctification, because if we take seriously what uh, our Christian belief says, we start to learn that it is more than behavior management. And then when we start to really know it deep in our life, praise the Lord, we can hear testimonies and even experience ourselves uh, transformation. So I just love those theological connections. But I want to know, Brian, if somebody doesn't know, um, you said that centering prayer is a prayer of silence. Like, okay, let's say I wanted to practice centering prayer when we were done. I just, what do you call it? A session? Um, <laughs> t- yeah. just, could you maybe tell me a little bit about what that might look like? Yeah, I, I would be happy to. And if anybody's listening, just wants some free tips, even if they don't want to read my book, if they go to centeringprayerbook.com, they'll get some notes and emails and even some videos that I've created on that basically instruct how to do it. But let me look, it's, I mean, here's the interesting thing I'm going to give you the basic instructions and it's really easy to, to just say what it is, but it has to be experienced and practiced to get the full thing. Cause it, it essentially um, what centering prayer involves is again, you're going to 
pick a time. So yeah, you're going to do a, a session and, you know, and I mean, you could do it, just close your eyes and do it. But I, you know, I, I recommend, you know, I use a, I have a Fitbits. And so I, I, I recommend trying 20 minutes though. You know, if you, if you've never done it before, five minutes might actually feel like an hour actually, but you know, you just, you want to set some time and then just make a commitment. Okay. I'm going to sit in silence for this time. And then the practice is this, and this is the, the, the key difference from regular prayer. When we do regular prayers, whether we're reading them or reciting like the Lord's prayer from memory, or even just, you know, just praying out of our hearts to the Lord, we're using words, we're using images, we're using our brain to pray. Centering prayer is basically saying, you know what, there's God beyond our words, in our thoughts, in our images. And so our thoughts can even be an impediment to being with God. And so sitting in silence with God means I'm going to surrender my thoughts even so that I can encounter God in silence beyond my thoughts. And so the, the, the whole practice then is you take a prayer word, and I recommend for Christians, I mean, you can use any short word, but I recommend Jesus, because when I'm going to sit with God, I'm sitting with my Savior, with Jesus Christ, I'm sitting with the triune God. So I would say use Jesus, and the whole practice is, okay, I'm, I like in the morning, I do this every morning for 20 minutes, I get out and sit on it, find a comfy chair, that's probably critical, hopefully fairly quiet, because anything you'll hear will be another thought that will distract you. But, you know, try to find a quiet place, set the timer, and close your eyes. And I usually start off with the Jesus prayer. I usually say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then I hit my timer, close my eyes. And then the practice is kind of like going to the gym, doing reps with weights. Every time I find myself in a thought, which again, it's going to be most of the time I break that up. I think by in my brain, just saying Jesus, and that recenters me. And that basically just breaks up your thought stream. And that is the practice. And the intention is to say, God, I'm going to sit here with you in the silence. I'm going to surrender my thoughts, no matter how good the thoughts are, no matter how inspirational they are, or sometimes you'll get scary thoughts, which I think we'll probably end up talking about. Um, and I'm going to wait for you. And, you know, and what you hope happens is this, these moments, and I don't want to promise anybody that this happens all the time, or even most of the time, is that sometimes you'll literally feel as though you are in God's presence and having those little moments, little split second moments of, of actually kind of soul to soul, and not that I'm saying God has a soul, but it, I don't know how else to describe it, that it, there's a union, there's an isness, there's a oneness with God, the God who loves us in the midst of this prayer. And you just, you know, then the timer goes off, you know, relax for a couple seconds, and we take a few more breaths and maybe end with the Lord's prayer or, or a prayer with words, or maybe do a journaling practices, which is what I usually do. But that's the practice. You just sit in silence. And when you realize you're in a thought, kind of, you can either say your prayer word or just think your prayer word, and that returns you to the silence again. So Brian, but, how long, how long do you think this took you uh, to sort of get down? Because I, I uh, because I, I, I think a lot of us struggle with silence. Mm -hmm. I think, um, mm, uh, I think true. a lot of us, uh, we, we don't like to just sit still or, um, we have a lot of thoughts running through our brains, uh, even when we're quiet. Um, so this, this didn't happen overnight. And I think we, we talked about the practice where you had to, you probably had to practice the practice, right? Um, yes. so, I mean, how long, 
to sort of get in a groove. And I guess you, in a, you know, like anything, we come in and out of things like that. Um, how, how long would you yeah. say somebody is going to take? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I think to make you know to make something a habit, you're going to have to commit at least a month. But you know, I've been doing, I've been basically consistently doing not a full, t- I've been doing 20 minutes for four or five years now, every day up until then I started with like one minute. Cause it was excruciatingly difficult with my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the mistake I made is I wish I would have jumped to 20 or quicker. I went to a centering prayer retreat one time and, and we all had to do 20 and I'd never done 20. And it was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do 20. And we sat yeah. there and I'm like, wow. And I did, it was like peer pressure. We did a group centering prayer. And so I, <laughs> and I did multiple 20 minute sessions in one day. And I thought, wow, I wish I would have done this when I started, but I, here's what I would say is you just have to commit to it. And I'm still learning myself. And I have, you know, again, I don't even judge the sessions. The whole point is just to show up and practice and just stay with that intention that you set that I'm going to be here with you, Lord. You know, it's like, come Lord Jesus, or you can think, you know, be still and know that I'm God or taste and see that the Lord is, is God is, is good. Just make that commitment and just honor it. And then you don't judge it. Cause like the worst thing that happens is you have to use that prayer word and you, you return to Jesus, you know, 50, 60, 70, who knows a hundred times in like a 20 minute session. But guess what? Of all the things that you could have returned to, you get to come back to God every single time. Amen. And so if, if you just remember, there's no, and I'm a, I love the win. I love games. I'm super competitive. You know, I'm the guy you give stuff to if you want something done, cause I'm just going to get after it. There's no goal in centering prayer other than I'm going to commit to sitting with my Savior in silence and with no agenda. We're not manipulating God in that. And so that's just a it's just an incredible practice. So you just have to sit with it. Um, and and I would just say, you know, I'm not going to say this is for everybody. So maybe it just sure. doesn't work for you. But if I would say, especially if you're the kind of person who thinks all the time, super anxious about stuff. This is the, these, this is like a mind vacation after you learn, if you've done it for a while and you will notice discernible differences. Like I'll just say, and again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor or anything, but like my blood pressure was borderline high for most of my life. I'm not even close to high blood pressure now. And that's Mm -hmm. even being Dean and all the stuff that I was doing that was very stressful. Mm -hmm. My blood pressure is is calm. um, And I know it's from doing this. So there's there's legit benefits of just slowly letting God unpack the insides of you. And you just recognize that you can just be. And it's such a powerful lesson, especially for, I mean, you guys are all busy pastors. You know, I know the demands is 24 seven. This is like your, <laughs> this is yeah. like 20 minutes that if you can commit to it, um, I'm, you know, this isn't a hack. So I'm, what I'm going to say isn't to try to say you can be more productive, but you, you don't lose the 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it makes your life bigger. And I don't mean this is a, this is not a productivity hack, but you right. will not lose the 20 minutes that you invest. You're going to see it long game in the kind of person that you are and how you're going to be able to be more powerfully present for, for, for people that you're serving. And this is true for mm-hmm. lay people too. It can help you on the job to listen to folks. If you're in like customer service it can help you to be calm when you're driving. I mean, these are just silly side benefits that I've noticed in my own life, but this, this is literally a, a game changing activity in our incredibly busy, distracted world. Yeah, I think I'd rather spend 20 minutes repeating Jesus over and over than hitting refresh on Twitter, don't you? 
Well, and you know, one of the, th- that, <laughs> yeah. a- amen. Jim, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, several years ago, uh, I heard, um, Timothy Tennant, um, he was at here actually, he and uh, some other f- folks from Asbury were here doing a weekend thing and, um, someone, he was doing a Q and a, and someone was asking him about, um, yoga because of his world religions and especially India, um, and Hinduism expertise that he has was asking him about yoga. And he, I remember him talking about the difference between Christian meditation and the practice of yoga and Hindu meditation. Uh, one is emptying and one is filling up. And that's what I'm hearing here is this is not, this is not some Eastern religious experience. This is a, a filling up from the God of the universe and um, allowing him to mold us and make us. I mean, these are the prayers of the Psalms. These are the, the things that are part of who we are. We've just, in our busy schedules and our super productivity, efficiency way of looking at doing things, even in the church, uh, we've just forgotten it. Yeah, this and this is. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I, I think it's such an important clarifying question. Because when you say the word meditation, mm-hmm. that actually can freak folks out, and they think, "Oh, this is just O'Brien's oh, just a New Age professor now, or something yeah. like that," or <laughs> or Brian's become a Buddhist, or Brian's become a Hindu. <laughs> yeah. um, and those are fair questions. And and you know, and you know, if you just look at the pure techniques, it's just like you know, people in all religions pray and stuff. There's going to be some similarities in the technique, but the key difference is it's exactly what Doctor Tennant said. And I would say that just a in a similar way, the, the difference is, is the purpose in the, in the yes. end game. Yes, right, um, right. You know, most other meditation practices, you're kind of going inside. And again, there is an inner dimension to this, but you're, the goal is to sit with the triune God, the transcendent creator God, and be in communion with a God that's external to ourselves. So we're not so much finding God inside, right? We're sitting with God who obviously is all around us. And that that's the, that, that's the critical distinction that makes this a, an authentically Christian practice. Right. This, and there's this history is, here too, isn't there, Brian? Yeah, it's not yeah. like, it's not like oh, in the yeah, last yeah. 50 years that Christian meditation has come about. It's essentially been practiced back in, in the Jew, Judeo Christian uh, culture since the beginning. Yeah. And I do some of that in, in the, in, in the book, it, it definitely traces as a Christian practice into the desert fathers and mothers when they retreated out to the desert and they, they started the monasteries, you know, and you can, we don't know if Jesus did this, but we know that Jesus went off to silent places to pray and he was alone. And, and so this is a, you know, a silent solitude practice. It's key to religion. Elijah was off by himself. Um, so there's, you know, we're not going to say that, hey, oh, they were doing centering prayer, but the roots of this have are really deep in the Christian faith. And, you know, the person does research into the word centering prayer. That is a recent word that actually goes back about 50 years, but that was simply Catholic Trappist monks. And like Thomas Merton would probably be one of the most famous of the Trappists. Um, some of Thomas Merton's, he was dead already by 1970, passed away in the 60s. But folks that were exactly in the monastery with him, they noticed Catholics were learning transcendental meditation. And they, they thought it was like the hippie movement and all this stuff. And they were like, wait a second, we need to teach lay people how to do the very thing that our order has been practicing for millennia. Right. And so they right. came up with centering prayer as kind of a, um, you know, a lay approach to what 
folks do in monasteries, which is spend a lot of time in silence and solitude, whereas, you know, we all live in the world. And so, you know, we're not going to be in silence and solitude basically our whole lives. It could just be for like these 20 minute blocks or, or longer. So yeah, thanks for letting me clarify that. Cause it's so critical that we don't think we're, you know, I don't want you guys, you know, Potakis's podcast is not going new age on everybody. <laughs> we're not going to be asking forgiveness from the trees, are we? No. Um, well, and, and you said something that was very important. So one of the things that I'm always fascinated about is how we as humans make ourselves out to be more than what we are. Yeah. Um, I mean, that seems to be from day one in Genesis three, you know, to be like God. Um, so when you look at some of these other ways of doing meditation from other religious traditions, uh, a lot of times it is, you know, it is, um, a way of emptying ourselves to get in touch with perhaps a divine within us. Mm Mm-hmm where with this kind of Christian tradition, it's always about getting in touch with God who is, who is big, big, bigger than us. It's, he's, he's outside of us, but who has broken through because of his grace and his love to meet with us. And that, that to me is always just like, when I think about God loving me and I, you know, what I know about the Trinity, what I know about grace, what I know about, all of this, I just, it, it just, it, it chills me to the bones in a good way where, you know, get goose pump, goosebumps, um, where I'm just like, how in the world could a God so transcendent love us so much to be, to break through so many barriers and veils and just come on through to that we would know him. So. Amen. I mean, that that's, and that is the distinctive difference that we believe in a, tra- like you said, it's a transcendent God versus just finding a God within. And, and I think even another way to say it is, um, you know, at some level, you know, like, 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 even if we were say Hindu or Buddhist and we were doing this, you're trying to become part of like what is, but you yeah. just kind of lose yourself into the bigger kind of a circle the God that we believe in is, on, is would be on the outside, and God's a person, and so yeah. it's about a relationship, relationship with yeah. the God, yeah. the living God who's holy, which means God is outside of creation, and that's yeah. what's breaking through in the mm. process yeah. of the silence. That's so good. That's, that's so good. There's a, a quote by Blaise Pascal that you probably have heard before. He says, "All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone." Ooh, you know, I haven't heard. That's a great quote. I'm going to, I'm going to write that one down. You know, that's gonna, you know that? that's going in addition to, that's going in addition to it. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. So Brian, one of the things I'm thinking about is we're talking about, so one, gosh, I just want to read your book. I hope everybody does. Um, what, so you, you talked that you said you had some theological uh, pieces in that book. So in terms of spiritual practices that help us grow in, in grace, holiness, and righteousness, um, what are some of the theological pinnings that you think help connect us because we're talking about what we believe and why it matters? What are some of the theological pinnings that call us into these spiritual practices or that makes our soul yearn for them? Yeah, well, I think in terms of, of, of and specifically what I tried to do um, from a biblical foundation <clears throat> was, I mean, in, in every, some level, there's not a new thought, but I mean, we, we know if you're going to ask what, what's, what would be God's will, it's to love God and love neighbor. Right. And then the question is, who's the God that we love? Because some people have misconceptions about God. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that these silence and solitude practices, and when I say that, I would, you know, centering prayer, um, prayer of Eximen, Lectio Divina, these practices that you can do in silence, what they do 
is they break down your false images of God that we all have. And so, you know, you're going to, they, they deconstruct the inadequate ideas about God that we had. Like for me, I had a God that was in my head. There was, I mean, I believed the right things, but I needed that to go more. And so at some level, my intellectually constructed God died and I got a bigger picture of God and in the Bible can guide us in that. So I want to make sure, like I used especially, um, you know, cause I talked about God loving us and I didn't want that to be misinterpreted apart from God's holiness. Mm. And so I, so I, I try to do a, a foundation that when, when we're doing centering prayer, we're not, it's the God who loves us. So I, I especially parked in first John where you have those two great statements, God is light and God is love. And reflected on God as being a God of holy love. So I did a lot of work on, on, on that conception of, versus, you know, false conceptions of God is like God who's keeping track of everything we do just so he can swat us with a fly swatter, or maybe God who's dangling us over hell. I mean, who'd want to sit in silence with that kind of a God, right? right. And so we, so right. I, I did some image work there just to give people um, some ways to think about the God that they will encounter when they're in the silence. And I, you know, I used a number of biblical passages. And then I also used some theological reflection. I went back to Bernard of Clairvaux, and he has a language, um, four loves. And he talks about right. moving yep. from being, yeah. you know, loving myself for the sake of myself to loving God for because of myself to loving God for God's sake, then to the highest level is loving yourself for God's sake. Mm, right. And I use that as kind of a, a rubric for some of the deeper experiences that you might have. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm rambling now, so let me just stop there and see if we need to follow up anything. No, that's great. And um, yeah, that's good stuff there. Um, the, the Clairvaux, uh, uh, I remember that from my seminary days, those, the four loves. So yeah, absolutely. Did, um, did any contemporaries of yours, like Robert Mulholland or others, were they helpful in kind of helping you with this, uh, with your thinking in this? Yeah. And I did a lot of, um, cause I learned, cause I, I kind of, I had to learn about centering prayer kind of on my own. Cause I didn't have instructions and I had some kind of strange experiences that I put in the book too, that I, so I did a lot of research. And so, yeah, I've read Thomas Keating, who was the Trappist monk who kind of gave it the name and there he had colleagues, um, see Menninger and there's Basil Pennington. So I've read all their works. I've basically, I actually read probably almost everything written on centering prayer itself, along with a lot of Thomas Merton. Um, I, I've read Mulholland. I didn't necessarily pull anything out of his work for this particular book. I've, Richard Rohr has some things. And again, I know he's sometimes controversial, but some of his older books are about this sort of things and are really helpful. And one of my favorite books is um, written, um, let's see, about 10 years ago by, uh, um, he actually lives in Florida. I got to talk to him on my podcast. It's Father America O'Madigan. And he has a book called Healing or Centering Prayer and the Healing of the Unconscious. And when I read that book, that was one of the catalysts for me starting to write because that answered a lot of my questions. So, so the answer is yes, I've read a lot of, um, a lot of books on this. And part yeah. of the book was, and the publisher didn't want all the notes. He said I was wrote, wrote too academically, and so <laughs> well, I won't imagine that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that was the fun part too. This is actually a popular book. I don't want to scare yeah. anybody with what I just yeah. said, and I intentionally wrote it, and it's written at about 
uh, an eighth grade reading level, which is not academic at all, but I had it heavily footnoted, mm -hmm. but they didn't. So a lot of the footnotes aren't there because they said, oh, you don't need all these notes. This isn't an academic book, but I do. There is a bibliography. And if folks you know, look at my book, they'll see a lot of the resources that I use to. Yeah, you That's interviewed uh, uh, Father O'Madigan on your podcast, did you not? Oh, absolutely. It was such a yeah. joy. I thought he lived in Ireland because he's an he was an, an Irish guy. And then I found out he lived he lived down in South Florida. And I sent him an email and you know, we had a conversation. We're kind of friends now. So that was one of the real blessings really of this great. whole process. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, see, I've awesome. looked over that book too. And one of the things that your your book is going to bring to the table when it comes out is um to help us to not have the experience that you just described, where if we feel a call to practice something new that we don't have to figure it out by ourselves and we can do it in a way right. that is very accessible. So that's going to be great. But Brian, you've been doing that a lot lately. Um, I know that uh, especially in the past few years that you have had a heart for pastors and ministry and their formation. <laughs> um, and I would just love if you would say something about what, what, what is that in your heart and uh, what has that been looking like lately? Yeah, well, this all started with teaching. And again, like I've been talking about, I'm more present than I've ever been. And like I would walk into classrooms and I could just feel, um, well, sometimes it's fear because students are afraid of some of the classes I teach, I got to say, but I also yeah, like just Hebrew. Yeah, 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 exactly. Hebrew and even inductive Bible study and stuff. But what I really noticed is I could feel the exhaustion that was in the room. Yeah. And I just noticed that people were just shoehorning seminary into ridiculously busy lives. And I got a real burden for that because I'd always ask students what their biggest fears are. And a lot of times it was, I don't think I'm going to have time to do this class. And I'm like, well, that's really funny. How could you not have time to do your academic stuff? And then I realized, wow, these folks are way too busy. And, and most of these folks were pastors trying to come to seminary. And I know some of you did that, did pastor at the same time. And it's super difficult. And I just noticed that everybody was really tired. So I just started teaching on time management in my classes and the students loved it. And I, and then when they, Hey, we want more. And so I started just, I base, I do a lot of spiritual formation in the class. And I started doing meeting with students in groups outside of class. And that sort of turned into this whole coaching piece where some folks were sort of reaching out to me as actually, you know, a pastor in South Georgia, Hey, can we do a mentoring group? And I like, you know, Hey, let's do, you find a couple people and we'll, we'll put a coaching group together. And that started deep dive spirituality. And basically to say what I do is you know, I, I have a, you know, obviously I have a heart for the church. I love pastors. I love my students, you know, and I always used to joke, I'd be their professor for life. And, you know, that's even my Instagram tag yeah. or everything. <laughs> and I just said, you're stuck with me. And so like, I want to serve and support pastors because I know it's a super difficult life. You know, I saw my own life. I mean, I, I got, you know, I can't say, you know, the, 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 even the divorce stuff that came and I, you know, we, you know, you have to get my ex-wife on here, which you know, to have an interview to get a whole, whole perspective on that, but <laughs> who knows, maybe, you know, um, um, it's hard. Right. And I, and I saw pastors, some of my former students were also getting divorced. Um, There's pressures there. Were, people were getting fired from positions that weren't within appointment structures. I just noticed there was this huge need. And the biggest thing I've noticed, um, and this was in my own life too, because I saw this as I was healing was, you know, like my daughter one day asked me, why do you work so much? Hmm. And that was one of those life-changing questions. And then I and, and then I thought to myself, well, God wants me to work all the time. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. Um, uh, and, and I realized I used my calling 
as an excuse to work too much. It'd be a workaholic because I wasn't willing to confront the pain on the inside. And in a sense, what I really coach on, this is the root, and this is why I call it deep dive spirituality, is the temptation to forget about what our true identity is in Jesus as a person's loved by God, and instead base who we are on the roles that we play. And this, and, and, and this pastors, we, we get to play a pretty good role. We're essentially, um, <laughs> we're spiritual leaders. And so in a sense, our job is reading the Bible, praying, and all the very things that God has given us as means of grace becomes a job description. Mm-hmm. And we develop this, wow. all these blind spots around that. And so how many pastors have these hidden struggles that they can't even talk about? And I'm not even necessarily talking about really bad stuff, but they have this backstage life, and then they have a front stage life. Mm-hmm. And to me, deep dive spirituality is not having a backstage or a front stage, you're just yourself. Because, you know, in my mind, what I do for a living is I get paid to be myself. Hmm. And the question is, what self (laughs) is showing up to do the job? Hmm. And so uh, the, the image, I go back to Bernard Clairvaux, is like what I coach around is I want people to be reservoirs not canals. And Clairvaux noticed when, in this one of his sermons from the, his sermons on the song of songs, it's really short. I think it's number 18. He said, what you, too many pastors, and he was talking about the people in his day are canals. And what he meant by a canal is what I would call a storm sewer today. In other words, it's something that only has water in it when it rains and when it overflows. And so to pastor as a canal is every time you get something, it goes right back out, you know, and we all know we've all been there. Like, geez, I got to preach on Sunday. So whatever I get, it's going to go right back out. And again, for seasons, that's okay. But you all know already you've been in ministry for, I think all of you for at least a decade now, that doesn't work long game. You just get burned out and exhausted and ministry becomes a burden that you're uh, rather than a, a, a vocation where you get to be yourself. And so Clairvaux says, instead, we want to be reservoirs. And in his mind, a reservoir would have been like on a hill. Um, ministry comes out of what flows over the top. Not So, so the reservoir is never going to go down. God wants to fill us up so much that when we minister, it's out of the abundant overflow of what God's already done in us. And, and so f- for me, that's what my coaching's goal is. I work with people, and it, you know, it can be a pastor or not, but we're a spiritually-minded professional. I help people to basically unpack all the stuff on the inside that's blocking the work, that deeper work that God wants to do so that most, and, again, and I always say most of the time, because I'm not making some promise that you can live like I just said, 100%. So we're talking about hopefully most of the time, or even maybe 55% of the time, I don't, I don't know what it is that we can f- be in this overflow period, um, phase of abundance, because I, that's what the world needs. And the noisiness, we've all seen it in a sense, you know, my, I wrote my book before COVID-19, but it's mm. perfect. Because we've right. all seen what happens when you put people in silence. Our whole culture has gone berserk mm. oh at some goodness, level yeah. because we couldn't handle being alone. I mean, you see it in the political divides that we have. You see it in f- silly fights over vaccinations. Uh, you mm-hmm. see what all the things that divide us. 
that's the junk on the inside of us that was starting to boil up that we couldn't handle it because we didn't know how to what to do with the silence instead of opening ourselves up to God's grace. So again, that's another long answer, but no, super passionate about helping folks because I want like you guys, I want you guys, I want you to guys kind of be like H.C. Morrison, the founder of Asbury. That, that guy, he started the seminary, I think when he was 70. Think about that. Most yeah. people are, and, and he preached until the day he died. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I want to be. I want to be in this to win it long game and these yeah. deep practices. So I want to be, you know, I want, I'm 52. I want to be better when I'm 62, 72, 82, deeper in Christ, more loving, more profound. And I don't want to be like getting to the end, like, oh, geez, I just got to hang on for one more appointment and then I can retire. Right. You know, I want to drop over dead and go to heaven basically at the end of this whole thing. Mm. Um, so as you do this deep dive spirituality, you're coaching pastors, you're talking to them. Um, one of the fascinating podcasts that's kind of gripped people out there nowadays um, is um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yeah, uh, This is put out by Christianity Today. Um, uh, those on our podcast who may or may not know, um, it kind of follows the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, um, who was led by a very charismatic, dynamic uh, polarizing um, a guy named Mark Driscoll. Um, and full disclosure, interestingly enough, uh, when I was coming out of college uh, and going into seminary myself, I was a huge Mark Driscoll fan. Now, uh, Driscoll uh, was uh, I was kind of a firebrand, and, and I got that. But not not was, in any relation to Firebrand brand. Magazine. <laughs> just just want to clarify that yes. for you. But uh, he um, was he. I knew him to be very polarizing. He's also more on the Calvinist side of things, so I also understood that. But he preached with a lot of passion, and I loved the call on him because he would tell the story of how he got to S Seattle. Was that he read in a magazine that it was the least religious city or the least Christianized city in the country, and he said, "Well, that's where I'm going to go plant a church." And so that mentality, I just love that, that whole thing. And I'm, I'm always just, I like leaders who look at challenges and then go, I'm going to go after that challenge and just, you know, so I was a huge Driscoll fan. And when the demise came, um, I mean, I had to kind of take stock a lot and do, you know, myself and try to yeah, figure that out myself. Um, and that's, not only true for Driscoll, that's also true for other heroes of mine like Ravi Zacharias, like Bill Hybels, like so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. Over the last decade, mm -hmm. all my spiritual heroes in many, many ways yeah. have fallen from fallen in some way or fashion. And so I'm, this, I'm, interested, I'm interested in the last 18 months through this pandemic we've had and even going into the pandemic uh, what are you learning ab about pastors right now and what's going on in their lives and some of our, the struggles that are real yeah it's a, it's that's such a great question and what i've what i've actually what i learned is you know pastors we have really deep fears that you can't always share publicly um you know you know like the, the obvious thing right now is it's been, you know, we, our world's always complicated um, and very complex. 
but sometimes it feels like it isn't. It's been, we've been completely in chaos. Like you got, you know, you all know, you don't even know like next Sunday, if you're going to have to close down again, that's very stressful, right? I have to, you have to suddenly learn how to do video. And those are the obvious marks that have created a lot of anxiety and stress for pastors. But, you know, we have these, um, um, kind of hidden secrets, I would say, would say that, you know, if you get to the group of pastors, you can talk about, but I mean, it's, it's the things I've learned is like, you know, is that a lot of pastors actually struggle with doubt and uncertainty more than they would care to say. And it's sometimes it's hard because publicly you can't stand up in a pulpit and talk about your doubts. I mean, you can a little bit, but if you had like a real doubt, that would signal to the church, wow, my pastor lost his faith or something. We need to get a new pastor. So a lot of pastors have hidden struggles with not knowing what to do with uncertainty in their life. I've noticed that. Um, I notice a lot of pastors, you know, always af they're really afraid, uh, is my ministry going to cost me my relationship with my children as they get older or a relationship with uh, my husband or wife, depending on if I'm a male or female clergy person. Those are really common things that I've seen is in terms of fears. Um, most pastors I've found don't have meaningful hobbies outside of ministry a lot of times. And like this silent solitude period of COVID-19 has made that worse. And then we have kind of hidden habits that we use to soothe um, that, those emotions that we have. Um, pastors struggle silently sometimes with, um, you know, even like sometimes with, with um, eating too much or, um, you know, you know, nobody's going to get in trouble for playing a video game, but you can, a lot of pastors end up playing way too many video games. And then some even fall into practices like with some, with some pornography and other pieces. There's these, there's these stress relieving pieces that, and again, I don't want everybody listening. Like, oh my gosh, my pastor's is, you know, has, we I mean, need to go check his internet or something like that. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just naming some things that do happen. Some pastors drink too much, you know, yeah. and just drink a little bit at night to kind of chill out and ends up being more. And those are hidden things. And if you're doing that, you know, where are you going to get help for that? Right. Cause you just can't come out. Hey, I got a drinking problem. That could, that could be the end of your ministry instead you know, and so I, I try to give pastors resources so that they can deal with not those things per se, but with the emotions that lead you to those things. Because what, yeah, what, yeah. what all those things are is we all have fear, guilt, and shame in our lives that are crying out for, for, um, to be soothed. That's everybody. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this at some level struggles with one of those things. Like I'm afraid of the future of the world. Um, I don't think that I do enough and there's always something else that I should be doing. That's guilt. That's actually false guilt. And then there's shame. So many of us, I'm just not good enough. Um, you, know, you know, like for me, I even, you know, I look back, I'm, I'm not like, um, I'm not going to sit here and, and deconstruct my own call, but at some level, I got a lot of esteem when I was growing up in the church. Um, and that was the only place I ever got it because I used to get made fun of horribly when I was growing up because I was like this smart kid and like a, a just working class, super tough place. And I'm not a brawler. Um, I was this nerdy academic kid who wore glasses. I got made fun of all the time. And so at some level, when I went to church, I got this esteem and I'm like, wow, Brian's so spiritual. You should go into ministry. And I'm not saying my call wasn't authentic, but in some way I had these hidden shame pains. And I got identity from that role as a pastor over against the real truth is that even when I was getting made fun of, Jesus loved me, period, yeah. right? Yeah. And so 
you know, I could keep going, but I mean, that's what I've learned about pastors. We're normal human beings that have pain points that get put up on these front stage pedestals. And as we grow, if you don't open yourself up to healing, you start seeing stuff squirting out in the backstage that essentially works against your soul. And, you know, like you mentioned Bill Hybels, Bill Hybels was one of my heroes. And I'll even say, I learned some stuff from Driscoll back in the day about church planning. He was doing all that speaking again. You know, he had the, if you look back, you're like, ah, you should have, we should have seen this coming at some level, but we didn't. He was kind of the flavor of the week or whatever and stuff. But, you know, like Bill Hybels, um, and I wrote this down at like, I think I heard him in 2001, he had this line, he said, uh, and he was sharing how he went into therapy. This was 20 some years ago. We didn't know all this other stuff had happened, but he said this line that I always haunted me. The work I was doing for God was beginning to destroy the work that God wanted to do in me. Man, I thought, whoa, man. And, and so, so I would say that's what I'm learning. That's basically what I've learned. And I'm not sitting there saying indicting pastors or in right. suggesting, but because we all, I mean, uh, I'm just being honest and saying, um, you know, I try to support pastors because it's super stressful. And, uh, and a lot of times pastors don't have a place where they can, a safe place where they can go and try to grow. And again, I'm not a therapist. So I don't do mm-hmm. therapy and stuff, right. but I try to create people, create resources so folks can get really healthy rhythms in their life and do case studies on difficult ministry situations, like dealing with people leadership decisions, you know, there's work on sermon preparation, how to fall in love in the Bible, because sometimes you just just read the Bible and and it grows cold. And so I want to be that space there as a Bible professor. It's like, you know, I've been in those places too. I want to help people to continue to be loved the scripture. So again, that's another long answer, but I just, you know, I know what it's like to be a pastor and I've known enough folks and I've seen enough struggles and falls and rises and Mm -hmm. stuff that I I, want to get in there and be the best support and cheerleader with real resources that I can be for the men and women who answer God's call. Well, and I think this is great because we have, um, we have a diverse, uh, audience. We have pastors who are definitely listening right now. We also have lay people. And I think it's, um, I think this whole conversation is, and will be insightful for both, um, especially for our lay people. Um, but maybe give some hope and some courage for, um, pastors as well and which goes back to the whole idea of centering prayer and those practices and just the spiritual disciplines and practices that um are are important for us to have because the craziness of this world right now has has really brought to the surface a lot of our struggles um and uh, i think it's these spiritual disciplines like centering prayer and other things are so important to keep us grounded during rough times. Um, cause they may yeah. only get rougher, you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah. We don't know. I mean, we, we're, yeah. we're 18 months into this, uh, pandemic or whatever it is. And we thought we might be over, but we're not. <laughs> so, yeah. So the questions of being, regardless of what happens, can we root ourselves in yes. grace so that we can thrive and flourish regardless of the, of the circumstances. And, and by the way, everything that I said about, you know, how pastors can deal with stress, that's true for everybody. Right. Right. Yes, and, yes, and, and, yes, and, and so yes. this, so, the, so, you know, again, I mostly work with pastors, but I could have pitched the same thing. Like what have you learned about lay people mm-hmm. <laughs> since mm-hmm. the pandemic yeah. started <laughs> sure, and everything absolutely. I said would, could be, would be equally true um, uh, for, uh, for, for lay people too. It's about, um, and, you know, and, and you said centering prayer, um, Thomas Keating, and, and I talk about this in my book, he talked about 
centering prayer is divine therapy in a sense. And that's what we do. You, mm. you, you, you avoid, um, God will work on the insides to bring the junk in our lives to the surface. And God is basically inviting us. That's what, when we use the prayer word, we're releasing the junk in our lives to God, because that's what happens. That's the scary part that I didn't know about is when you sit in silence, I mean, my book says it'll change your life, but um, it'll also sh- confront you with exactly who you are. Mm, terrifying. And, and, yes. And so you'll see hurt parts of yourself. You'll see the parts of yourself that you would never want God to see, but that's the whole thing. God sees it. And, right. it's, and our temptation is to jam it in. Like, you know, just to be completely transparent, I put this in my book. Um, I thought I was doing something wrong when after I had been doing this for a season, all I would get in whole sessions where all I was was thinking about all the people that had done me wrong. And I was right. replaying like, exchanges with people. I just saw this anger. And then the other thing that was even more embarrassing is I'd be sitting out in silence, start thinking about sex. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this God's going to strike me dead. But reality is, well, no, God didn't strike me dead for being really angry or thinking about sex. And what I found out is people that sit in silence, and this was traced back to the early church, that's where the seven deadly sins came out of. They were observing really holy people that went out and sat in silence. And like St. Anthony, one of the early fathers, he talked about being when he was in silence, he's fighting the demons of anger, the demons of lust, the demons of gluttony, all the seven deadly sins. And so that's what gets churned up. And what Jesus is saying there was in the silence is just give it to me, Brian. And so I say my prayer word and I just hand it up and slowly you get substantial freedom of, of from the very things that afflict humanity. Mm. Wow. I'm so glad you were able to tie that back into lay people um, as well, because absolutely, I mean, all us preachers, there's nothing real special about us, except that we've been called out, out of the the church itself to proclaim the gospel the way we do. But I mean, all, all Christians, whether you're a banker, a doctor, a, you know, whatever, a, a, a teacher, a, you know, a mechanic, we, we all have our struggles that, that all is there. Um, and so this is not just a pastor, pastor thing. Yeah, not at all. It's for, and you know, my book is for everybody, obviously. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and what I, what I would want to say out of that is, um, we are, we have been in maybe an extraordinarily stressful season of our generation. Um, we are, we, we've talked over a couple of weeks, we've touched on, um, the pastors that are listening in, in some way. Um, some of the things that we're talking about, um, maybe you've heard out said out loud for the first time about maybe what pastors may experience. Um, and you, what, what part of what we want you to know is the theology behind what, who God is and how God relates to the world, uh, comes to bear on those parts of your life. And if this is maybe the first time that you've had any camaraderie or companionship in hearing the struggles that you've been going through quietly and silently and struggling with, there's there are ways to light before it gets harder and darker. The way out and the way of breaking are not the only ways that are available. Um, and we've mm-hmm. all been there. And part of why we love to talk about who God is so much is because it desperately matters for the healing and holiness of his people. So uh, just would love for you to know that um, yeah. there's encouragement, there's love for you. Um, yeah. 
and, and I hope that you'll pick up Brian's book. Uh, yeah. Keep listening to uh, Potokesis as we share our hearts for God and others. But uh, September 14th, Dr. Russell, your book comes out. I, are you going to get to do any kind of special events for it, like a signing somewhere or uh, he's going to have a mass centering prayer session. For- <laughs> well, you know, well, honestly, I'm going to do some things like that. And in fact, I mean, if, if people are listening and they want to use it in their churches, if, you know, if you get a block of people that's, you know, I don't know what the number is, but I'm, you know, maybe 10 people, 15 people buy the book and you want, and you want to read it together and say, Hey, I bought your book. There's going to be 15, 20 of us sitting here. Um, you know, I'll, I'm going to do some, I'll pop in on zoom and, uh, awesome. w- w- why yes. not do a centering prayer session? Now, if I have to do a thousand, I don't know what I'm going to do, but, uh, <laughs> but you no, know, but I, yeah, I am. And I'll, I'll let you guys know. Cause I think I, we are going to be doing a centering prayer workshop. I'm working that out with paraclete still, and I'm wow. going to, I will be offering some different, um, opportunities. Cause I think, um, you know, if, if, depending on the reaction to everything, yeah. I, you know, I want to be of service and, and it, and that's one of the fun things you can do centering prayer over zoom. Cause I've done yeah. it before I had to do it with students and sure. stuff. And, you know, it's kind of funny. We all have our eyes closed on zoom, but it actually works. And, uh, yeah, so I, I probably will be doing that. So I'm gonna have to let you guys know when I, okay. when I, uh, awesome. when I, when I schedule That'd that be stuff. Yeah. yeah. Be glad to share that with the community too. Have y'all but ever, if, um, heard someone say something that kind of shook you to the core, but like you, so, all right. Just a little while ago, Brian, you said uh, about pastors um, in your uh, your coaching groups, um, the means of grace become part just part of your resume. Or yeah, <laughs> okay. And I'm not accusing the people that I'm working with that are listening to that, but I've just noticed no, no, that. No, 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 but no, it gets no. a, it becomes a struggle, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell yeah. you that line right there. When you said it, it kind of, but then it came back, <laughs> like it flew by, then it came back like a boomerang. Man, so if you're a pastor out there listening, the mean, when the means of grace become just part of your resume, maybe that's a maybe that's a sign that uh, you need you need you need this and those spiritual practices and those groups in your life who can pray for you and be there for you and let you know, as Jim said, that um, breaking or getting out are not the only options. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, Wow. Yeah, and, 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 I just, and I'll say that, that the other the, the other option really is love, right? Because yeah. you can either pain can grow you. And my story is a pain story, right? Yeah. Um, love can grow you too. God's gonna God's love is gonna be for both. But for everybody's listening, if you haven't hit, if you haven't had the pain <laughs> wake up call, have the love up wake up call. That there would even go. be better, and it would yeah. be delicious. Because <laughs> so if you and if you you know I like to think I wonder what would have happened if I would have been say if I would have my pastor like if Jim was my pastor and you know and uh, and, and whoever I am of my equivalent would have taught me about centering prayer back when I was like 16, 17. You often want what what would have become of me if I would have had these deeper practices the whole time? I'd like to think. You know, well, I don't know. It's you can never go back, but I just wonder that, right? So, but you can be captured by, or you can be transformed by your pain. It's still going to be God, but in the God's love is going to come in, or you can just open yourself up fully to love. And it doesn't mean you won't have challenges, but you can grow just from love too. And that's would be my prayer for everybody listening. And dig deep in the Lord now. I that's think good. that is a good yeah. place 
to uh, end for the day. So let me just say this to our potecumens. Y'all might be thinking, weren't there supposed to be some questions that we answer? Well, that is true. And as the Holy Spirit sometimes does, things uh, things change. This has turned into a special edition of the Potechesis podcast with Dr. Brian Russell. So, so Brian, <laughs> you are um, our first guest on our first special edition uh, of the Potechesis podcast. <laughs> Praise was- the Lord. That was yeah, we've had a long conversation yeah, today. We this have. Stuff, it's yeah. been great. Yeah, it's been, yeah, I appreciate thank you. you to doing yeah, that with yeah. us. I, I very, very much appreciate this. So uh, we'll get to the questions that we were supposed to deal with, perhaps, um, and, and we'll let you know. Just pay attention to social media, which would be at Potechesis on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, you can also call us. We want to hear from y'all. Uh, maybe even play your conversation or your question on the podcast at 404-635-6679. You can also email us at questions at podekesis.com. You can find Brian's new book on September 14th, um, I guess pretty much wherever books are sold, Amazon and other places like that, Um, and other books by uh, Dr. Russell. He's got great Bible studies and wonderful books, um, especially on seedbed. Um, You can go check that out. And uh, we are so grateful for you, uh, Brian. Thank you for coming on again. And um, listen, I think I think you've become the official, um, not only professor, but I would say the official pastor of the Potechesis podcast. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Wow. Whether he wanted it or not. not yeah, that's right. There's no pay in it or anything like that. So <laughs> I'll double your salary. <laughs> exactly your Potechesis right. salary. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Potecumens out there, uh, pay attention to announcements about um, when the next uh, episode's coming up and what we'll be hitting on the catechism. And uh, we will talk to y'all later. Thank you again, Dr. Russell, for being with us. Jim, Alan, it's good to see y'all too. Potecumens, peace. We love you. Talk to you later. Yeah.